Sports. Welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Potter of the Mile High Sports Podcast family, and I am very excited to talk about the first trade of the Nuggets 2022 offseason under Calvin Booth, as opposed to Tim Connolly. Going to be very interesting to talk about this one, because it's kind of one of those nuanced ones that you're not necessarily going to, like, you're not going to see the reward of it, I don't think, until the offseason is fully done. Because I, I just think that there's definitely some extra stuff that's going to come out from this. But if you missed it, this morning the Nuggets made a trade where they sent out Jamichael Green and the 2027 first round pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder for the 30th pick in this year's NBA draft, along with a 2023 second rounder and a 2024 second rounder coming back from OKC. So Denver trades Jermichael Green in a future pick. They get back a current pick, and they also get back two second-round draft picks. And I'm kind of surprised by this. I didn't really expect Denver to be able to get this good of value for Jermichael Green, who, let's face it, he was not a good, helpful player for the Nuggets this past year. And uh, I'm kind of surprised that OKC didn't really hold Denver over the barrel on this one, because from my perspective, it's a good trade. And we'll talk about why. I was in the process of going to Ball Arena when this ultimately went down, and I turned around and I went back home basically. And I knew that I had to talk about this because this is a this is a big deal. So let's get started. We're going to do the details of the trade in the first segment. We'll do kind of the ramifications of this trade, what it means for the rest of Denver's offseason in the second segment. And then finally, we'll do a, a send-off for Jamichael Green, who was in Denver for two years, and I think deserves a little bit of a send-off here. But first, let's talk about the trade. Why did Denver do this deal? Well, they don't have a lot of flexibility. They, they are dealing with limited trade assets right now. One of those trade assets was a 2027 first-round pick. They also have access to a 2029 first-round pick. But it's those two selections along with their 21st pick this year, and that's it. That's it on the draft capital. Denver doesn't have a lot of second-round picks, so they kind of recoup a couple of second-round picks in this deal while converting that 2027 first into a 2022 first-round draft pick. It is the 30th pick, that is true, but it's also a a draft pick that you're going to get a four-year rookie-scale deal which isn't something that you get from a second round pick. So it is actually a valuable thing for a team that's trying to kind of lock in some cheaper salary. But was that the only reason that Denver did this deal? No. I think the Nuggets believe in Zeke Naji. I really do. I think that they are very hopeful that he can step into a larger role this next year, whether that's kind of spot starts in place of Michael Porter or Aaron Gordon or if it's just a more consistent power forward, bench power forward role, maybe some center in there. I do think that they believe in him. They want him to succeed. He's just 21 years old, and they believe that he can be better and better as he continues to get some experience. One of the things holding him back from from that experience is Jamichael Green, somebody that Michael Malone ultimately ended up playing over Zeke Naji in the playoffs despite the fact that Zeke was probably a better player. Now, there were some injury things that kind of really shaped that decision, but 
Zeke was kind of winning over those power forward minutes over Jamichael Green in the middle of the regular season before he got hurt. So I'm not surprised that they believe in him and see what he did and want to continue to use that. He's also a cheaper first round pick, so he makes, I think, four times less than what Jamichael Green makes. Or maybe it's closer to like three times less, but you get the point. Denver acquires another draft pick this year, the 30th overall pick. And in the process, because the 30th overall pick has a rookie scale slot, it's very easy to project what that deal is going to be worth and how much money that's going to cost this year. So let's say Denver drafts, and let's say they select the 30th overall pick, and they they have that player on their roster. That will replace Jamichael Green's $8.2 million with that 30th overall pick salary, which is, I think, about $2.1, million, $2.2 or something around there. So you save about $6 million in salary by just replacing Jamichael Green in that way, and you get a couple of second-round picks, and the only price that you have is to trade your 2027 first-rounder. Now, Denver's not playing for five years down the road. They're playing for wins right now. They want to win a championship, and the 2027 first-round pick is not going to be super helpful for that goal unless it's used as a trade asset, which it was. So not really surprised that Denver did this. They also get an $8.2 million trade exception that they generate from Jermichael Green's salary, and it gives the Nuggets just a little bit of flexibility with the players they acquire this offseason, whether it's from the draft or in free agency or potentially with trades. They don't necessarily have to draft with this pick, and I'll talk about that more in the second segment. But I do think that this is a possibility that maybe Denver does a variety of different things now, and they could still have a piece of draft capital where they could select a player. So very interested to see how this works out. Why did the Thunder do this? Sam Presti has a fix, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Just just kidding. Uh, Obviously just kidding. But the Thunder are clearly trying to kick the can down the road. Uh, They love to trade for veteran players, kind of rehab their value, and then ship them back out for a better, uh, higher higher value pick, which isn't really surprising because there are definitely some uh, there, there aren't a lot of veteran players that are going to want to hang out in OKC right now as they continue to build up their draft stock, their, uh, their draft pick cash. It's just extensive right now, and Sam Presti continues to add to the future of the team as opposed to really banking on the present. Now, OKC already had picks number 2, number 12, number 30, and number 34 they weren't going to use all of those picks, and they're not giving Denver the second or the 12th overall pick. So they gave them 30. And I'm not really surprised that they did that because the 34 is actually going to give them a little bit more flexibility for sure. Uh, the Thunder specifically, they might use that as a draft and stash guy, honestly, but they weren't going to use all of those picks. That's guaranteed. They're also kind of betting against the Nuggets. They have Denver's 2023 first round pick, which if if all things go to plan, that's probably going to be like the 25th, 26th, 27th overall pick. And they also have now Denver's 2027 first round pick, which is five years from now. Nobody knows what's going to happen in five years. It's very possible that Nikola Jokic isn't as good as he was five years from now. 
And if that's the case, then maybe Denver, maybe their ceiling is as the 10th best team in the NBA. So they are the, uh, so they have the 21st overall pick and the 21st overall pick is better than the 30th overall pick. That is the calculus that the Thunder are kind of working with. Maybe Denver has to break it up altogether and they're in the lottery. So Denver then would have to give them up a lottery pick. That would be bad for Denver. Now, it is an easy bet to make because right now I think Denver is going to be very good. There's no reason to hold on to the 30th pick if you believe something can be better. But I also don't know why OKC included two future second round picks as well. Didn't really feel like they needed to do that. But it is what it is. Was this a good trade for Denver? I think so. I feel like, like I said at the top, it feels like a preview of things to come rather than just uh, a solo move that Denver makes. If I had to bet on what Denver does with this pick, I don't think that they're going to keep both 21 and 30. I have to imagine that they're still toying around with different things, still looking to move and deal, and Calvin Booth feels like a, a wheeler and dealer at this point which isn't really surprising given the the ultimatums that have been thrown down in press conferences lately. So not really surprised that Denver made this move, but it also feels like a preview to a larger move or two. In a vacuum, if you're just kind of grading it on the value of the move, it actually makes a lot of sense for Denver. They didn't necessarily need Jermichael Green for their future playoff runs, and they get cheaper. They could potentially use that extra money on bringing in somebody else. And it gives them some flexibility to do that while also getting another first round pick for this year. So we will see how it goes. But for now, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about what the trade means for the rest of Denver's offseason. Kind of go into more depth on that. But first, summer is here and there's no better time to make your first bet with Superbook Sports. Along with its usual vast betting menu, Superbook already has a lineup for every pro football game this fall. Plus, when you make your first deposit on the Superbook app or sign up at Superbook.com, they will match up to 100% of your money up to $500. That's incredible. It's never too early to start thinking about uh, football, excuse me, football at Superbook Sports. Place your bet and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's talk now about what this trade means for the rest of Denver's offseason. Kind of where Denver currently stands. Uh, I think everybody sort of needs a refresher on what Denver has to work with. Right now, they currently have eight players on the roster. You have three guards, Murray, Monte, and Bones. You have one wing in Will Barton, kind of an undersized wing. You have three forwards in Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, Zeke Naji, and then you have one big in Nikola Jokic. You also have a player option, just one now instead of two, in Jeff Green. I would still expect him to opt in. I don't think this really changes anything for him. So you have nine players that are accounted for. So what happens at draft time? 
What happens now that Denver has the 21st overall pick and the 30th overall pick? It's a little bit different. It gives them just a little bit more flexibility because they have two picks that might be able to trade one. And there are plenty of options. So here I'm going to go through them now. Four options as I see it. Number one, you draft two players on cheap rookie scale deals. I'm not sure if this is the draft to draft two players. I do think that there are going to be valuable pieces that you can get in the 21 to 30 range. I've talked about Jalen Williams. I've talked about Marjan Bochamp. I think that there are going to be some helpful pieces like Wendell Moore, who might be early second round picks that say Denver drafts Wendell Moore at 30th overall. That feels like a guy that could could contribute almost immediately, if not immediately. And there are a lot of guys that can do that. Not every player, and Denver kind of has to pick and choose. But adding multiple guys on rookie-scale contracts so that they're affordable during this period of contention, that is a good option for Denver, as long as they hit on the picks. Make sure that those guys get into the rotation, are possible uh, rotation guys and maybe even starters down the line for Denver. does feel like they have to continue to stockpile the team. Because they've kind of exhausted all their draft resources, you want to make sure to stay young, stay very active. You don't necessarily have to go super young. And so maybe you don't draft two 19-year-olds. You draft a 21-year-old and a 22-year-old or something like that. But you stay relatively young and have a contention window that lasts a reasonable amount of time. Number two, you trade up with both picks and draft just one player. Now, I don't know how far you can go into this draft where if you trade 21 and 30, how far are you realistically going to get? Is it 14? Is it 15? Is it 16? I think that's probably the target range of what you're looking for. So uh, target teams that I guess Denver could go after with this. Uh, Cleveland, I know, has the 14th overall pick. If they aren't sold about the players that they want at that position, or they're just kind of more interested in some of the players that are down the board, and maybe they want two selections as opposed to one, then maybe that's something they go for. I'm not sure if that's something they'd go for, but maybe Denver has their eyes on somebody at the top of the draft or closer to the the end of the lottery that they want to try to acquire. Maybe it's Oshai Akbaji, or it's maybe they're trading up for Jalen Williams, or maybe it's Dyson Daniels who fell to 14 or something like that. There's a lot of guys that you could choose from for sure. Number three, you trade down at 21 or 30. You add additional draft draft capital. Maybe it's not this year, but next year. Next year, Denver doesn't have a first round pick. What if they traded the 30th overall pick for a lottery protected 2023 draft pick? It wouldn't surprise me if some team decided that they'd like that a little bit better. Maybe it's a guy that or maybe it's a team like, I don't I don't know who doesn't have a draft pick this year at the top. Maybe it's Phoenix. Phoenix had the 30th overall pick. They don't have it anymore because that was the pick that they traded for Chris Paul. Maybe they want a draft pick, and so Denver gives them a draft pick, and then they get Phoenix's 2023 first round pick, which is obviously far more likely to be higher than 30th overall. Maybe that's something Denver decides to do, or they trade back. Maybe they pick up a draft and stash. Maybe they pick up two second round picks from some team. I don't know. 
And then number four, last last option here. You can trade one or both of the picks along with a veteran and get a positional upgrade. Now, this is probably the one that most people are going to be looking at. I think some people have talked about trading up. Some people talk about just adding two rookies. I think most people are interested in this particular scenario, and I'm going to circle it over and over again, and here's why. Denver does not have another draft pick that they can trade until 2029. They have one shot at this. Unless they are going to trade Bones Highland or Zeke Naji, or if they draft two guys, then maybe they're going to have to wait until the deadline to flip those guys. But they really only have one opportunity to trade a valuable draft pick or two, and that is at the draft, right at the draft. It's not before, not after, it's at the draft. There will be action during that time. There will be some lead up during that time, and and maybe there are teams that are interested in adding draft capital this year. I'm not sure which teams those are, and I'd have to kind of do a little bit more research into thinking, is there a fit for this uh, for this current situation. I don't know. Maybe it's Bradley Beal. Maybe it's uh, Cantavius Caldwell-Pope from, from the Washington Wizards. I know those are drastically different, and you'd have to give up drastically different veterans in order to get those guys. But I think you're looking for aggressive moves. Maybe it's DeJounte Murray or Malcolm Brogdon if you're trading both of those picks. Like It wouldn't surprise me, actually, if Indiana was like, Okay, so we could get, we have the sixth overall pick this year. We could get 21 and 30 and also get Bones Highland or somebody like that and Will Barton for Malcolm Brogdon. It would be a lot to give up, but is there a better fit out there right now than Malcolm Brogdon in terms of kind of completing Denver starting unit? I don't know. Probably not. But that's kind of where I think people should be living in this situation with those draft picks. You're either going to make a trade and trade up, trade down, or trade out entirely and try to get an upgrade. Whether that happens or not remains to be seen. There's always a possibility that they just fall back and, and draft two first over or first round picks. That would not surprise me either. Also, Denver acquired that trade exception. I, I don't know if I mentioned this in the first segment, but trade exception, $8.2 million, have a little bit of flexibility there. But it gives Denver the opportunity to acquire a player from another team that makes under $8.3 million in the 2022-2023 season. Or I guess it could be 2021-2022, but I don't know if that makes sense for Denver. They'd probably have to wait. Denver will have to look out on, on the veteran trade market see which guys are available, see if there are any realistic additions that they could have that wouldn't necessarily cost a full-on first-round pick to acquire. Maybe it's a second-round pick. Maybe it's one of the the second-round picks that they acquired from OKC. Maybe Sacramento would be interested in, okay, we're trying to shed salary a little bit. How about we give you Justin Holiday and you give us the 2023 second-round pick that you just got from OKC? Maybe Sacramento's amenable to that. Maybe they would trade Denver Alex Len just for free because they don't necessarily want him on their roster. Maybe it's Cleveland with Chetty Osman or somebody like that as a, a different kind of wing that Denver could acquire. 
I'm spitballing here, obviously, but I'm trying to get the framework of what people should expect. Jake Coyne, Bronco Squatch, who we've talked about and, and has been on this show before, he shouted out DeAnthony Melton as a potential option from the Grizzlies. DeAnthony Melton makes $8.25 million, so he is just within the, the kind of flexible range of that $8.2 million trade exception. So he could be acquired, and that would be awesome. That would be fantastic if you're Denver, because he's the exact kind of piece that they should be looking for, kind of a, a point-of-attack defender. Now, can they play all four of Bones, Murray, Monte, and DeAnthony Melton in a rotation? Probably not. So you're probably looking at additional moves beyond that. But if you traded the 30th pick and acquired DeAnthony Melton for that pick, maybe that's something that the Grizzlies would be interested in. Probably not, but you never know. Other than that, Denver's plans, they don't really change that much. Denver still has to find the perimeter defense. They still have to revamp their wing position, still have to solidify backup center. And now more than ever, they probably need a solid option at backup center because like it or not, Michael Green, he wasn't good at backup center, but he was a guy that filled minutes. So Denver's going to have to find options that fill minutes. And especially if they do bring back DeMarcus Cousins, Cousins is injury prone. He's, He's had major injuries before. You don't want him playing 82 games. You need other guys that can help. So I wonder what Denver does. We'll just have to see how they handle it. How they handle it. But either way, let's take a break now. We'll come back. We are going to do a send-off for Jamichael Green. We'll be right back. Final segment, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Let's wrap this thing up by giving kind of a, a little send-off to Jamichael Green. Uh, a lot of times in these situations, we talk about the ramifications for the team. We talk about uh, these players as assets, what they were really worth, how this kind of pans out, what the, the ultimate vision is for Denver. Lost in all that, of course, is that a player was traded to Oklahoma City and and. Obviously, he had to kind of sign off on this. He had to exercise his player option and and opt into that in order to make this thing happen. But I do think that he will, like this isn't the last run for Jermichael Green. He'll find other opportunities, whether it is in OKC or not. There's another team that will eventually trade for him. Denver acquired J. Mike after the bubble run. He was on that Clippers team that lost to the Nuggets when they were up 3-1. And J. Mike immediately made an impact in Denver. He split time at the four and the five on Denver's bench. He played very hard at both positions, was a rugged interior defender, but also could switch a little bit. And he shot 40% from three. He was the perfect role player that Denver needed within their rotation, just a, a versatile bench big that they could really count on. And he was very solid. Nikola Jokic, of course, said he wanted to play with J. Michael for the rest of his life. Now, I don't know if Jokic is sweating this move. Like, I I have to imagine that this wasn't as big of a deal. Or if it was a big deal, then he probably would have been consulted on this. But it is something to think about that Tim Connolly's gone. Uh, probably going to lose Vlaco Chanchar or somebody like that. Now you're losing Jermichael Green here. 
there, there's a lot of turnover that's going to go on for in Nikola Jokic's life. A lot of players that were around that, that might not be around anymore. But kind of more to the point. J. Mike was very great for Denver throughout his first season. Was solid, was consistent. One of my favorite moments was Game 6 versus Portland when obviously you had you had Porter's first quarter where he scored, I think, 22 points in that quarter. You had Jokic who dominated the second half. But one of the under-discussed storylines in that game was that Michael Malone did not close with Michael Porter Jr. He had really slowed down. He wasn't necessarily playing well. The Trailblazers were attacking him a little bit in, in pick and roll, and so he decided to kind of ride the hot hand, and rather than bring back in Michael Porter, Jermichael Green had been playing pretty well that game, and he finished out that game kind of closed in between Aaron Gordon and Nikola Jokic. And that's a pretty big lineup, not necessarily the most versatile, the most perimeter-oriented against a team like Portland that was very perimeter-oriented that year. But he decided to kind of go with him. Malone trusted his, his gut. He trusted the veteran. And it totally paid off. They knew that they needed to dominate the glass. And J. Mike dominated the glass. He was the unsung, unsung hero of that game. And it was impressive. Impressive to see. And one of the more important things that Denver did in the offseason after they lost Jeremy Grant was they, they knew that they needed to get a body that could be a little bit more versatile at the four and, and sometimes the five position. And J. Mike was exactly that. Now, J. Mike was not good this past year. I don't think there's any two words about it. Pretty much every combo Denver tried on the bench was bad. It wasn't very good. It was Some of it was Faku. Some of it was not having a traditional center. Some of it was just they, they didn't have Jamal Murray and Michael Porter to kind of take away the pressure a little bit. But J. Mike was not good. And it wasn't until he moved to power forward and kind of out of Denver's primary actions. He wasn't in pick and pops. He wasn't in pick and rolls. He was kind of more of a, a spot up guy or a dunker spot kind of guy. He did much better in that situation. Much, much better. And Denver, they, they played pretty well as a result of that move. But through it all, you never really questioned J. Mike's hustle, his toughness, his willingness to do the dirty work when Denver needed it. One of my favorite moments from this year was the Philly game, where you have March 14th, Jokic versus Embiid, all of the MVP narratives that came out of it. Denver's team stepped up that day. It wasn't just Jokic, although Jokic had a good game. It's nothing, nothing to sneeze about. But Denver needed a spark in the second half. They got it from Bones on the offensive end. But Jamichael Green delivered on the defensive end. He drew multiple charges on Joel Embiid, rebounded well, blocked a shot, even scored some big baskets. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think there were baseline jumpers, like 15-foot baseline jumpers, which have completely been eradicated from existence in today's NBA. Lo and behold, J. Mike, kind of a traditional power forward, this is kind of what he grew up doing and what he was doing with the the Memphis Grizzlies and the grit and grind era back in the day. He was at the baseline hitting those shots and he made some big shots for Denver that game. It's just one of those moments that you think back on pretty fondly when you think about who J. Mike was and what he really meant to this Nuggets team through the, the shooting struggles and through maybe some of the, 
the charges that he, or not the charges, the offensive fouls, the screening fouls and things like that, there were things that weren't good. It didn't work out this last year with Jamichael, but this is the kind of circle of life thing, honestly, that comes when you're dealing with vets and young players. I'm not really surprised that this has happened, and, and hopefully Jamichael Green has that Al Horford resurgence in him, where he spends a little bit of time in OKC, recovers his body a little bit, refocuses up, and then he comes back to a contending team, whoever it is, and absolutely kills it. It wouldn't surprise me if that happened. He has that capability in him. But I am very happy that J. Mike came through Denver, that he had these two years here. He helped Denver get through some tough times, and though he was very much a bridge player from kind of era to era in Denver's kind of high moments, J. Mike was still a guy that toughed it out. Despite the fact that Denver wasn't at their best in these years, J. Mike was very much a part of things and very much helpful for the vast majority of it. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the program. I will be back tomorrow. A brief, kind of a, a different change of schedule, of course, due to this trade. But nothing changes for tomorrow's podcast. Still going to get on a, a draft expert and going to not spoil who that is quite yet, but I am very interested to see what you guys think of this uh, of this conversation. Should be a lot of fun. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support as always. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.